Good morning again. Please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 24. Our sermon text for this morning is Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 9. Before we read, let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, uh, for your truth. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us alone, uh, but that you have spoken, uh, that we might hear from you, that we might know you. Uh, we pray, Father, that as we uh, read Leviticus 24 and think about this chapter and uh, think about your gospel, we pray, Father, that you would uh, open our eyes and our minds and our ears, that we would hear and believe and see and understand and that we would trust more fully in our Savior Jesus and live more fully for you as we go out from here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. I have an attitude problem. I I am striving to get communion with God right, to manufacture intimacy rather than receive it. Um, I'm worried that if I don't do it right, I, I might miss it somehow, as if communion and intimacy with the Father were only for those who had perfected a certain skill. See, my heart wants to reduce communion with God uh, to a program or a series of devotional activities, right? Almost like an incantation, that if I just follow these steps, I'll be close to Jesus. My attitude toward communion with the Father is all wrong. My attitude toward communion is all wrong, that is, when I even want it. Because that is, uh, so often I'm so busy running around doing or uh, consuming that intimacy with God isn't even on the table. Now we're, we're almost done with Leviticus. I think we're finally at its heart. This text, I think, is the heart of Leviticus. It, it, it's, it's here at the climax of Leviticus that we get a, a picture, an image Uh, A two-part image, really, of of seven lamps and twelve loaves. 
It's kind of a curious heart because the imagery eludes us a little bit. I mean, it's an image of communion. It's an image of intimacy. It's an image of Israel really basking in the light of the Father. In some ways, the imagery is, is quite simple, right? I mean, the lamp represents God's presence, right? God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And the bread represents Israel. Twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes. The twelve loaves are replaced every Sabbath when Israel gives herself anew to her God. But the bread, of course, stays there then all throughout the week because all week long Israel is continually giving herself to Yahweh. And what does Israel do there right, within this imagery? Well, she simply basks in the light of God's presence. There are other details to go over, of course, but, but this is the main point of the imagery. And why, you might ask, why would this be the climax of Leviticus? Why am I saying this is the heart? This is sort of the, the pinnacle. Because Leviticus is, has been all about explaining how fellowship with the Father is restored. After sin, after rebellion and rejection, how can humanity be restored to the Father's presence? And the answer we've seen in Leviticus as we've been working through it is that a, a cleansed and holy people can enter the cleansed and holy place on the appointed holy day. We've seen that the blood of the sacrifice, right, removes judgment. The washing with water uh, removes uncleanness. And the anointing with oil sets Israel apart. Israel has been cleansed and anointed and uh, set apart, atoned for. So they can now offer themselves to the Father and bask in His glorious light. See, the bread and the lamp, they're a picture. It's like a, it's like a coloring book, right? Trying to, trying to get us to see in simple picture language what's going on here. The question for us is, okay, how does this imagery translate into the concrete of our daily lives? And how, how, do we, how do we place ourselves on the Father's table in the Father's light? What does that mean? What does that look like? And, and do we even want it? So our outline, you can see in the back of your bulletin, uh, first we're going to dig a little deeper into the, the seven lamps and the twelve loaves. We'll look at this imagery. And then we'll talk about entering into intimacy, pleasure in God's presence, and living as lights in the world. First, the, the lamps and the loaves, right? Israel is to bring an, uh, pure oil, pure oil for the lamp made of pure gold, right? Notice the emphasis on purity hasn't uh, left Leviticus. There's still this emphasis on purity. Uh, the goal is a light that will burn regularly, a kind of eternal flame right there in uh, the tabernacle. Every evening and every morning, the chief priest, which was Aaron at the time, was to refill the lamp with oil. And the, the language used of the lamp is really tightly tied to the lights and the passing of time in the story of creation. Right? So uh, the lamp here reminds us of the lights at creation. The sun, moon, and stars are actually called lamps there at, uh, in Genesis chapter 1. And that word, which is used here and there, is used almost exclusively of the lamps on the golden lampstand or the lamps in the heavens, the sun, moon, and stars. Now, there are other words for light and there are other words for lamps, right? But this word is just used of the lampstand and the sun, moon, and stars. This light in the tabernacle represents, on some level, those lights in the heavens. 
And Genesis 1 records the passing of, of days, right, with the phrase, and there was evening and there was morning. And the lamps are tended every evening and every morning. Not every morning and every evening, the way we would put it, right? But every evening and every morning, echoing the language of Genesis 1, echoing the creation of the world, echoing the passing of days. The sun, moon, and stars in Genesis 1 are for signs and seasons, we're told. The word seasons uh, is uh, a word that we've already seen in Leviticus. We saw it in chapter 23. It's the word appointed times, or uh, in Leviticus 24, it's translated appointed feasts. So part of the purpose of the sun, moon, and stars at creation was to regulate the appointed feasts. Not the natural seasons, which is the way we often take it, but the religious festivals. And then we have this lamp, which has seven branches, right? Seven lights. Now, that's clear in other passages when it's described in Exodus, uh, when it's described in... uh, when it's described uh, how it's supposed to be made, we're told it's a lampstand with seven branches, seven lamps on top. It's hinted at in verse four of our text, which says, um, Aaron shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold, right? So there are multiple lamps on the one lampstand, seven lamps on the one lampstand. And that number seven, right? That's of course gonna remind us, it's an echo of Genesis one as well. The, Remind us of the days of the week, right? And the moving toward the seventh day, the creation of the world. So it represents the marking off of holy time leading up to the Sabbath, right? As the lamps in the heavens regulate the appointed feasts, so the lamp in the tabernacle with its seven divisions represents the seventh holy day. Even the oil, right, may have a symbolic meaning, right? Oil in scripture is often symbolic of the presence of God's spirit, Zechariah says uh, this specifically of oil that's being poured into seven lamps in one of his visions. He says that oil is about the power of the Spirit. And so we have the oil of God's Spirit burning brightly in the world in the seven lamps on the golden lampstand. Right? God's light, so to speak, is uh, his, this true heavenly holy light is breaking into the world there in the tabernacle. A little picture of God's presence in the world. Of course, that's not all that's going on, right? There's also the bread, right? Israel is to take 12 loaves of bread, clearly representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, And this bread is put on the table of pure gold before the Lord, and it's there as a memorial portion, uh, a food offering. Now, as a memorial portion, it represents the whole, right? It's a part that represents the whole. So we would ask, okay, the whole of what? What is this a memorial portion of? And I think the answer is it's representing the whole of Israel, right? These 12 loaves are representing the whole nation. In giving their daily bread, right, Israel is giving themselves. Laying the bread on the table before the Lord uh, was, was them offering themselves, their whole selves, up to the Lord each week. And, of course, that's when it happened, right? It happened each week. It happened, verse 8 says, every Sabbath. Every Sabbath, Aaron is to arrange the bread before the Lord regularly, just as every evening and every morning he arranges the lamps before the Lord regularly. And and notice that the rhythm here that's being set up. Every evening and morning, Aaron arranges the lamps, counting the days, marking the time. And then on the seventh day, he puts out fresh, uh, fresh bread before the Lord, representing Israel, offering herself afresh to her God. Every Sabbath, Sabbath after Sabbath, as a covenant forever, uh, the, the high priest goes through this routine. And this is Israel's way of sort of renewing her covenant with Yahweh. This is her offering herself afresh week after week 
It's not that Israel didn't offer her services to her God every day of the week, but the Sabbath was a renewing of that commitment, fresh bread for the new week. In some ways, the same must be true of us. We renew offering up ourselves every week, every Sunday, which then carries throughout the week. It's, it's not that we come on Sunday mornings and say, okay, God, uh, it's Sunday, I'm yours today, but then Monday I'm mine again, right? The bread wasn't laid out on the Sabbath and then taken back until the next Sabbath, right? The bread was laid out on the Sabbath and it remained there for the week to come as an offering to God. Uh, sometimes people argue about uh, Sunday morning and worship like this. They, um, they, they argue about whether uh, worship is a Sunday thing or a whole life thing. And they argue as if it's an either or, right? Either you worship God on Sunday or you worship God throughout the week. And um, if it's a whole life thing, they say, well, then Sunday becomes kind of irrelevant. It's not really that important because I, I worship God every day, right? It's sort of a way of sounding really spiritual, right? I, I don't worship God just on Sundays, but I worship him every day of the week. But of course, we, we do worship God every day of the week, but we worship the Father on Sunday. We renew our commitment to him. We offer ourselves up afresh so that we can then serve the Father throughout the week. Right? It's not an either or. It's a, I'm going to recommit myself to him every week so that then the rest of the week I'm serving him with my whole life. And so we have this lamp right, representing holy time and the Father's holy presence and then we have this bread representing Israel weekly, regularly offering herself up to the Father. What this means is that, the, the, interestingly, the lamp and the bread portray visibly uh, what Aaron's benediction portrays verbally. Uh, you, you may have noticed I've been using uh, Aaron's benediction throughout the series on Leviticus. You know, at the end of the service when I say, now receive the Lord's benediction, and I raise my hands, and, and I recite certain words from Scripture. And, as we've been in Leviticus, I've been using words from Aaron out of the, the book of Numbers. And they go like this. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is also the word face, upon you and give you peace. Right? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. See, Aaron's benediction and the, the lamp in the tabernacle shining on the bread are really both about the same thing. The same reality is the light of God's face shining on his people. Which brings us to our, our next point about entering into this intimacy. Most of us feel like God is distant at some point. And as you think about that distance, I, I wonder what's, what is the story that you tell yourself? Right? I mean, you, you may tell yourself, well, God's just not there. God doesn't exist. Uh, that's why I feel distant from him, right? Because he's not real. Or you may tell yourself, right, that uh, God has abandoned you. Do you ever wonder where he is, right? What, what, what he's up to? What's he doing? Or maybe your story is one where you have to work your way back into the Father's presence, right? I know God's there, but, but I've got to climb the you know, Jacob's Ladder, right, or build the Tower of Babel. I've got to do something to get up to where God is. That, that's where my heart is by nature, right? My heart by nature is about working, right? It's, it's, I, I think that if I try harder, I, I'll feel something more. And I keep trying hard to sort of get into the Father's presence, trying hard to know that He is with me, trying hard to, to do the right thing, to get into His light, that His face might shine on me somehow. 
And I feel like closeness to God is something that I need to accomplish. A program, right? Or a series of devotional activities. uh, Steps to follow to manufacture closeness to Jesus. And, And in some ways, the imagery that we're looking at may only enforce that. Right? I mean, Israel offered herself up week after week, laid herself on the table before the Father. So I think, okay, that's what I need to do. Whatever that means, right? I need to really lay myself on the table before the Father. I need to really do it, right? I need to say, here I am, God. And apparently I just need to say that more or louder or something or with a different accent. Here I am. And I need to do it again and again. But then I look at my offering, right? I look at my life. And I realize that my bread is stale and moldy and worm-ridden. And so what do I do? I I redouble my efforts. Okay, I'm really going to give myself to Jesus this time. Then I'll know intimacy with my Father. See, the story I keep telling myself is God is out there somewhere. And if I can only get my offering right, then I'll know intimacy with him. Then I'll be close to God. But of course, that that story is a fiction, (laughs) That, that's not the way it works. You know, Israel's bread, too, went stale. Uh, Israel lived a life of repeated unfaithfulness. God eventually sent his unfaithful bride out of the temple, out of the promised land, into Babylon, which maybe only furthers our fears, right? Because, okay, if I, uh, even if I do get close to God somehow, if I can make it into the holy place, uh, does that mean God might send me away? If my bread goes stale, if my life is moldy. And this is, of course, where Jesus enters into the story. God himself comes into the world. He takes on human skin. Jesus' body becomes the bread offered up to the Father. Jesus comes as the true Israel uh, to lay his life not just on the table but on the altar. And he offers his whole life to the Father for us. He is obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And what does Jesus receive for his obedience? He goes to the cross. There he he receives the frown of God's displeasure for us. He goes into the grave. But then he is rewarded for his obedience, isn't he? He He receives the smile of the Father. You may think the smile of the Father, where do you see that? Uh, Well, you see it in the resurrection. The resurrection is the smile of the Father on the Son, right? You say, okay, that's a weird way to talk about the resurrection. What are you talking about? Well, think about it. So so Psalm 36, which I think we read earlier, yep, says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. See, here's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying when God's light is shining on us, we see light. We see life. We see goodness and safety and feasting and joy. All of these good blessings come from the Father's light shining on us, from the Father's face smiling on his people. Or Psalm 44 says this, O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You see, when God moves to save, It's because he delights in his people. 
and in the imagery of Scripture, it's because God's smiling face is shining on them. That's when God moves to save, it's because his smiling face is shining on them. When God raised Jesus from the dead, it was because the Father delighted in his Son and his smiling face was shining on him. The Father received the, the bread offering of Jesus on the table and the Father delighted in it. And the Father's smiling face shined on the Son. And of course, we could ask, well, where is Jesus now? Jesus, in his humanity, is at the Father's right hand, basking in the glory of his Father. And think about our picture, right? Our picture, we started out with the lamp is the light of God, shining on the bread offering of Israel. And uh, we, we know in some ways that picture was historically smashed when because of Israel's disobedience, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the temple, took the lampstand to Babylon. But now we have a new picture, right, of, of the son offering himself, right, to the father and basking in the light of his father's smiling face, receiving the father's approbation in the resurrection and sitting at his right hand. Okay, great, you might think. That's, that's, that's a wonderful picture, but what does that have to do with us? I mean, in some ways, it seems like we've been cut out of the picture, right? Before, at least, it was, uh, we had a picture of, of God and his people, right? The light of God smiling on the bread of his people, the offering of his people. But now we have a picture of God and God. We've been chopped out of the picture. Well, yes and no. When Jesus took on human skin, he became a representative of humanity. The Bible teaches when we believe in him, we are joined to him, united to him. Something uh, similar, uh, for good or for ill, uh, we have in, in the U.S. presidency, right? Think about it. Our president is our representative. If our president is on good terms with another country, that means we are on good terms with that country. If our president is on bad terms with another country, that means we are on bad terms with that other country. Well, Jesus is our representative to the Father. Our, our connection to Jesus, of course, is not just legal, it's not just a political union, but it's a spiritual union. And if Jesus has the Father's smile, if Jesus is basking in the light of the Father's face, and we are in him, then we have the Father's smile. We are basking in the light of the Father's face. And in Christ, the Father's face is smiling upon us. In Christ, the Father delights in us. Okay, so how, how, how do you place yourself, ourselves, in the Father's light? What does that mean? How do we get there? What, where God's face is shining on us. Well, we believe in Jesus, the one in whom the Father delights. It's not if I do the right thing or pray the right prayer or have the right devotional time, then I'll know intimacy. You, you have it in Christ. It's a gift. But you might protest, well, I don't, I don't feel it, right? I, don't, I, don't, I want to I feel it. I want to know it in some experiential way. I want to know God's presence. I want to feel his smile. Okay, I get that. But let me remind you, right? This is something we have to continually remind ourselves is that we walk by faith and not by sight. Or rephrased uh, for our present context, we walk by faith and not by feelings. All our efforts to try to manufacture feelings miss the point. Feeling that the Father loves me is not the same as the Father loving me. Right? We want to know the Father's love. But I get it, okay? You want to know that the Father is smiling on you. H how do you know that? 
How do you know that the Father is smiling on you? Well, this, this imagery, right, this lamp and this uh, bread, it's, it's rich. There's another layer to it, right? See, for us, Jesus is the offering of bread to the Father. But to us, Jesus is the manifestation of the light of the Father. Right? So for us, Jesus is the offering of bread to the Father. Uh, in Him, we are being offered up to the Father. We are in Christ. But to us, Jesus is the light of the Father. In Him, the Father's smiling face shines on us. And so if you, want to know God, uh, if you want to know that you have God's smiling face, if you want to know the Father loves you and delights in you and cares for you, you only need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the manifestation of the Father's smiling face. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. See, the incarnate Son is the product of the Father's love, the demonstration of the Father's love. When we consider the cross and the depth of the Father's love there, when we consider how far the Father would go to save us, that he would give up his only Son, we cannot but be convinced of the Father's love for sinful people. Now, if that doesn't rock your world, and, and I admit that some days it doesn't rock my world, the, the reason is because I don't see the depth of my sin. I don't see the wrath that my sin deserves. And so the sacrifice of the Son seems trivial. Do you see your sin? Do you see the, the, the wickedness of your own heart? Do you see your need for a Savior, right? to free you from sin's guilt and sin's shame and sin's enslaving power. We see the Father's love in the cross. We see his delight, his smile, his provision for you. Jesus bore sin's guilt, sin's shame, sin's power on the cross so that you don't have to. So you can have the light of God's smiling face shining on you. Now, just because Jesus offered his life for us, uh, that, that doesn't mean we don't offer our lives to him. Uh, every Sunday we come, we've already said, we, we rededicate our lives to the Father so that we can live for him throughout the rest of the week. But we do that not in order to earn his favor, not in order to gain his smiling face, not in order to feel intimacy. We do that knowing we already have his favor, we already have his smile, we already have intim intimate communion in the Son. Which brings us to our next point, pleasure in God's presence. What, what, what do we do in the Father's light? Okay, so we have, we're, we're there in the Father's light. We're in Christ, basking in the Father's light. Okay, what do we, what do we, what do, we do in the Father's light? Maybe that's a weird question, right? What, what did the bread do there on the table in the light of the Father in the holy place? Well, the bread didn't do anything. It's bread, right? It laid there, simply existed in the Father's presence. The height of communion is, is simply basking in the Father's light, simply knowing the Father's smiling face, knowing his glory. Do you want that? Do you want to bask in the Father's light? Can we handle simply being in the Father's presence? I can't. I, I, I can't. I, 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 you know, I can't simply stop and just, and just know the Father's love. I, I feel the need always to do something to say something, to figure out something, to create something. Sometimes we're too busy doing to simply know the Father's love. We have to stop doing, stop creating, stop attaining, stop achieving so that we can just receive, just bask in the light of the Father's smile for us. 
Maybe we're too busy doing. Maybe we're too busy consuming. Right? I'm too busy tasting tasty things. I'm, I'm so busy devouring good books. I'm so busy consuming the good things the world has to offer that I never stop to receive the one thing that will really satisfy my soul, the Father's love, the light of the Father's smiling face shining on me through the cross of Christ. And as I was thinking about this and wrestling with this, I was thinking, I, I struggle so much here. I had to wrestle with whether this would just be complete hypocrisy for me to talk about these things this morning uh, because I'm so busy, right? I'm so busy doing and I'm so busy consuming and I'm so slow to bask in the Father's love, to meditate on it, to remember it, to consider it, to enjoy it. But it's only when we bask in the Father's love that we come to know true joy. See, we, we were made for intimacy, made for pleasure. The, you know, the, you know the, uh, some of you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that famous first question, right? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Half of our goal in life, according to that question, is joy. Half of your goal in life is joy. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But that joy is found, first and foremost, in the Father's love for us. Who doesn't like to be loved? Who, who doesn't like to be doted over? And can you think of a time when there was someone who, who you knew, they just loved you completely, right? Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent, a boyfriend or girlfriend, a spouse. Maybe it was a child, right, who for the first year or two of their life thought you could do no wrong. Then they realized otherwise. But for that first year or two, right, they loved you completely without hesitation. There was nothing in the way. They just delighted in you and it brought joy to your heart. When someone really delights in you, when someone really loves you, it melts your heart. You know why the Father's love doesn't melt my heart? It's not because he doesn't love me. But if I'm honest, it's because I mostly ignore it. I mean, I know it. I believe it. I preach it. I talk about it. But then I move on too quickly to other things. I don't bask in it. I don't meditate on it. I don't think about it. I don't rest in it and simply enjoy it. That the Father loves me. He delights in me. I simply believe and then move on to the next thing to do. We need to bask. Right? We need to learn to bask. It's not that there's nothing to do, right? But that what, what we do needs to be not this anxious activity which seeks to achieve, but resting in the light of the Father's smiling face. Can you do that? Okay, that brings us to the last point. Living as lights. What does basking in the Father's light do to us? Maybe another odd question, but what does it do? I mean, if you sit in the sun too long, you get a sunburn, right? Uh, what does basking in the Father's light do? Well, as you spend time in the Father's presence, His light over time will transform you. God's grace causes us to become people of grace. Now, again, I hesitate to say this because I'm not full of grace. I am fearful and controlling and demanding and ungracious and unforgiving and impatient most of the time. What does it mean for me to walk in the Father's light then and to be transformed, as Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians, from one degree of glory to another? I think it, it, it does mean becoming a more gracious person as His grace grips my heart. But the beginning of that according to 1 John, it's, it's simply honesty, right? It's 
Honesty. Walking in the light means confessing our sins, being honest, not hiding anymore. Honesty, the beginning of reflecting the the light of the Father in the face of Christ is, is just honesty, walking in the light, not hiding in the darkness. We do offer ourselves to please the Father, uh, but not trying to gain the Father's pleasure. And, and the difficulty is really subtle, but it's key, right? What's the difference between walking to please the Father, but not walking to gain the Father's pleasure? If I have to gain the Father's pleasure, if I have to earn it, if it's not a gift in Jesus, I can't be honest. I can't be honest, not even with myself, certainly not with God, because if I'm honest, I'll, I'll have to confess that I'm failing. But if the Father's pleasure, if the Father's delight and love is mine in Christ, not based on success or failure, I can be honest about my failure. Without fear, without anxiety, without worry, knowing that the Father still loves me, delights in me, and cares for me in Christ his Son. To put this differently, we we come and we bask in the Father's light, we bask in his love, in his smile. And uh, another odd question, what do we do when we leave? Um, what do you do when you leave? Well, okay, in one sense, we're always in the light of, uh, of the Father, right? Um, but we're not always sitting, meditating on the Father's love. We're not always soaking that in in that way. You know, newlyweds don't stay in the honeymoon suite forever, right? Uh, they, they enjoy one another's beauty, but at some point you, you, you go out and you go back into life. We're gathered this morning, right, to enjoy the beauty of the Father, but eventually we will leave here to go back out into the world. And here's one of the many beauties of this passage, right? We started out saying that God is light and Israel is the bread, and that's true, right? But the more deeply we go, we realize that God gives himself to us as bread so that we can then go out into the world as lights. See, Jesus comes to us and he says to his people, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. See, we come and we bask in the presence of of God's smiling face and then we go and we take that smile with us. We go to bear God's light, His grace, His love in the cross to the world. You may think, okay, I'm I'm bad at that, right? I'm I'm not loving as God is loving. I'm not gracious as God is gracious. I'm not patient as God is patient, right? Okay, okay, I get that. So start with this, right? Be honest about your heart with people, right? Be honest. Actually, actually don't just hide the fact that you're not loving, but actually admit it. Confess your sins to people where appropriate. Cross that barrier between casual acquaintance and intimate confidant with people. Be honest about your need so that you can highlight for others the grace of your Savior. Right? It, it's our need that shows forth His grace. It's our sin that shows forth His grace. If I'm perfect, I don't need a Savior. And Jesus isn't that amazing. But if people know I'm a mess, then, then my Savior means something. Right? He died for that mess. That is me. See, walking in the light of the Father's love means being honest about our sin and our brokenness with Him and with the world. Not trying to hide it, to to show off or to to look good before the world so that, oh, maybe if I look good, they'll think well of God. No. They they need to know that He's a Savior of sinners. Offer yourself to the Father weekly. Place yourself on the table in the Father's presence anew every Sunday. And then stay there, so to speak, throughout the week as you go about your daily business walking in the light. 
I know there's like 14 mixed metaphors in there, but you get the point. As you come to the Father through Christ, you find yourself slowly, maybe, but certainly transformed into the same image. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You will find that as you walk by grace, you become a carrier of grace to those around you in the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would teach us to to bask in your light, to lay ourselves on the table, so to speak, and just rest, just rest in your love for us. Not trying to figure everything out, not trying to get everything right, not trying to to manufacture uh, intimacy or emotions, but just being in your presence, knowing your love, giving thanks to you for it. We pray, Father, that you would then change us by, by that, Change us by your grace. Change us by your spirit. Change us as we see the light of the gospel in the face of Christ. That you would conform us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That we would then go out and we would represent Jesus and his grace to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.